Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This premier independent fan experience podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and brings you honest and in-depth Montreal Canadiens discussion and entertainment. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Pudney are proud to be one of your trusted sources for Habs and hockey news. If you are talking about it, so are we. Are you in the market for quality sticks and equipment you can afford? There is a no-frills, no-nonsense company that wants to provide that to you. No Name Hockey. No Name Hockey is a small Canadian company started by former pro player Jason Goulet. When he retired, he searched for sticks that felt like when he was a pro but could never find the right one or one that was reasonably priced. So he decided to start No Name Hockey. Now No Name offers high-quality, customized sticks at a fair price. They won't try to wow you with a fancy name. They will focus on providing you a pro-stock quality stick that you can afford. The cost of sticks has gone through the roof due to sponsorships and licensing fees. No Name Hockey makes sticks for the No Names and players currently making a name. And welcome to episode 123 of Habs Unfiltered. I'm your host, Blaine Pudney, and we are joined now by a special guest, Jason Paul of waveintel.org. Hi, Jason. Hey, how are you boys doing? Good, good. And uh, joining joining Jason, just because, you know, they help pay my bills on, on this show, Matt Smith. Good morning, guys. And Treg, I have Bell with a John Lou package, Wilson. <laughs> ah, I might be in and out. I don't know. I got the John Lou Bell package going on here. <laughs> Perfect timing for freezing up. That looked amazing. So um... <laughs> that was not planned. <laughs> <laughs> not planned at all. But uh, yeah, so people watching on YouTube may see Treg freeze up a little bit. Uh, we apologize in advance for having his face on longer than it needs to be. Uh, but we're going to just dive into the Habs news notes and everything in between with Jason, who's been kind enough to come on today and 
talk a little bit about that using advanced stats. So um, I've got my, my Texas instrument calculator ready to go. So why don't we just kick this off? Uh, Matt, you had, uh, you had one, you had a question to kick it off. So um, before I logged in, you guys were kind of discussing a little bit about Jeff Petrie and uh, Edmonston. And I'm just wondering your opinion on Edmonston's game in relation to how Petrie has really taken off this season and uh, isn't just putting the puck in the net, but he's more or less just rounding out as a, uh, a solid top four defender. Yeah. I mean, at the beginning of the year, I was, I had my thumb on that, uh, that pairing to see how long they were going to take to, uh, to gel. And uh, to tell you the truth, I think it's been a, a bit up and down just from the eye perspective. Uh, and I think last night could be a microcosm of Petrie's year. I mean, I thought you guys watched the game. People on Twitter were saying, well, it's, you know, some pretty big gaffes they were making, little miscues here and there. Uh, and in the end, they washed out um, not so great five on five. They were minus one. They had a couple of high danger chances against. Um, their shot metrics were okay. But then Petrie scores a goal and assist on the, on the power play, right? So all that washes away. So, I mean, when I look at the, the data, Petrie was, ha- had a fantastic year last year. He had just an incredible underlying uh, statistical year. Um, and this year, it's not quite as good, but he's putting the puck in the net. That's just hockey, right? So I think there's, there's some inflated... Um, there, there's some hot air a little bit in, in what's happening with those two guys. The shot, the shooting percentage is high for them. Their line mates, we can expect that stuff to come down. But the good news is, is the underlying data, the shot metrics, five on five, look really good. Now, speaking of five on five play and the game last night against Ottawa, that the Canadians finally won, thank God. Um, just looking at the five on five play, it, it kind of, the eye test made it seem like the Habs were getting a little bit more touches. Did, did your stats that you compile kind of match up with that with, for instance, zone entries and exits and uh, possession time? Yeah. So you just talking about last night. Yeah. Yeah. Last night they had a, again, another decent game just with the shot metrics, the expected goals and the Corsi and all that kind of stuff, pretty much classic. But what I thought was a bit of a difference was some of the micro stats that you see me pump out once in a while, the transition stuff. Uh, Lots of attempts by Petrie uh, exiting the zone, but the two ones that stuck out were Suzuki and uh, uh, Kakanyemi. They were much more active than they have been recently with the exits and the entries, and they were fantastic. Kind of like the bubble. In the bubble, it was one thing that I saw. I saw that um, Deneau's activity for transition was very low, but it's kind of the style he plays. He plays deep in his own end, so he actually chips it to his wingers who get it, who get it, who get the puck out. And kind of the same thing in the neutral zone. He defers to his wingers, whereas Kakanyemi and Suzuki, as you see, they hang on to the puck, they carry it, they, they take command of the game. Uh, that way and so you get you get higher quality in my opinion you get higher quality um, play when your centers those guys are making nifty passes in and out of the zone right so that's what we saw in the bubble and last night was identical Uh, I think Suzuki had um, the most entries last night 
uh, Kokanemi had some really high controlled entries and the fail rate was very low, which means they weren't mucking up. So that looks good. I just, I just feel that that's a change in how Ducharme must be, you know, asking his players to play. Further on to that, with the with the five on five play and especially the transition play, uh, the my eye test sh- uh, told me that the team was a little bit more active in actually generating their transition game. So there was a lot more controlled zone exits in my view, um, namely with Romanov. Romanov seemed to have a, whenever he had the puck, it seemed that he was able to transition it under control. Did that did that match up with the stats? It did. It did. He, he looking at some of the previous games, he was not controlling it. And last night uh, we have him down as four controlled exits and only one uh, failed and no dump attempts. Right. So like to your point, uh, the style of play he plays. Right. So he had four Petrie had six controlled exits, but he had way more attempts. Right. So um, yeah, I, I thought Romanov played fantastic last night. I, uh, him and Kakinemi seem to have more confidence, right? So hopefully we see a bit more of that. Now, do you feel that that's, and this is not basing it on advanced stats only, but your view and your eye test, do you feel that they have more, uh, they're playing a more confident style, a more competitive style now that they're, the Ducharme has taken over? I think it's still too early. Uh, I think last night, uh, I think you saw the tweet I tweeted out, you know, so sobering assessment was that they actually didn't win the five on five game. They, you know, they were minus one and they were saved by their penalty kill and power play, which is what we have not seen all year. Just imagine if they had an average special teams all year, we would not be having this conversation. Yeah. Julian would still be there. I mean, he, he, Julian left a team that was number one, five on five goals for he, le- he left the team that was number two, five on five goals against. That, that to me is like, you show that data to someone and say, you're firing that coach that's got the best five on five team in the league. It's just crazy. It's not expected goals. That is actual goals. So it, it really shows that the power play and penalty kill can just kill you, kill your confidence and kill your ability to get out of jail free. You know, win a game just by scoring a goal like Petrie did last night. Yeah, the, the Canadians are definitely not the Leafs when it comes to that. Yeah. Uh, Treg, is. you had a question. If I can get it out. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> so. Uh, and yeah, he's frozen. And, and I didn't get it. <laughs> I'm back. I'm back. So the power play is three for seven with uh, Ducharme. What do you see as the big difference and the big factor uh, in why it's improved so much in the the little amount of time that he's had? Yeah, I mean, I think it's too soon to look at the the data if you're asking me for the data piece, but um, and I haven't looked at like the shot maps or anything like that. But just just exactly what you guys see, right? Like just the eye test is saying they're they're giving the torch or they're giving the baton to you know, Kakanyemi, Suzuki, the forwards instead. It doesn't look like they're deferring as much. I, I, I noticed a few times that they deferred quite a few times five on five and on the power play at the point, but that's going to happen. I mean, that's still a good play in hockey. You can't, you're not going to completely eliminate that, right? So I just really like um, the attempt for the seam pass last night. Um, 
even if it fails, you're causing confusion and, uh, for the defenders. And that is worth something. Um, I, I think, are you guys Mario? You must be Mario Lemieux fans, right? Well, yeah. I, I love Mario Lemieux. And, and I think he was just the most magical player ever to play the game. And I remember him saying stuff like this. One of his quotes was, you know, on the power play, when, I'm, when I've got the puck at the hash mark, or like near the, he used to play near the goal line kind of, right? He's like, if I don't have a play, I'm just flipping it to the front of the net. Because you're just causing confusion and you have to trust that your players are going to fight for it, right? And I just think the Habs just, with their power play in the past, are just they just didn't have the confidence to try those plays and they're doing the simple plays. So I like that they're trying those plays and they failed a couple times and, and it, some of them looked really risky, some of those cross-ice uh, seam passes, but worked. Yeah, Kotniemi, uh, he's, he got almost two full minutes at uh, at five uh, on the power play, and <clears throat> he was able to create a ton of offensive opportunities from the half wall. So that seemed to be an adjustment that was brought on by um, by Burroughs by letting him just go in and and play a little bit more. They're taking advantage of his strong play and letting him create because he, he that's his strength. He has that vision. He has that hockey IQ let him create on the power play and it's it paid off with a couple of power play goals um yeah and he was on with suzuki right and i don't think yeah. we've seen that before and suzuki kind of stayed in the middle it's, it's just putting all your power uh on on the one plane i think that's fantastic i mean uh you got so many more options when you have both those guys on the ice that's right i mean the one thing i would say about kakinyemi and a couple of guys said it on twitter last night is that, I mean, he was playing on the power play before, you know, he was kind of getting the secondary and it wasn't working out and his confidence was low. And it's just amazing how, when you start him and you, they must've given pumped him up and given them some confidence. Uh, it, it looks a lot different. It's amazing. Yeah. Over the last couple of games, it's looked really, it's looked really different with him because we saw, as you said, with the secondary chances, or, you know, the tail end of the power play. And it just seems like he was just forcing his shots too much or just trying to force a play. And either he was throwing it into traffic or he was just shooting it in the goalie's chest and killing the play. So last night it was, it was fantastic to see him just being, just using the uh, instruments in his toolbox. He was passing, he was shooting, and it kind of gave the power play a little bit more um, danger, I guess. And they weren't just referring it to their defense and just shooting it on net. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think the confidence thing is um, is a big issue with this team. And I and I, I think Ducharme, I'm still not sold on whether I, I love exactly how he's doing it. Um, again, going to the the fact that he started to know in the the, the uh, OT the other night. Um, the fact that, you know, they did, they had the lead last night, so it's a little bit different. But when you have a hot player like Takanyam, you can clearly see he's he's focused. You got to run with him, right? So I want to see a bit more of that. I want to see, like, I'm, I'm, I'm actually living in Ottawa, and I watch the Sens quite a bit. And the magic to their, to their you know, success, a little bit of success this year, is the fact that they've, they've given the responsibility to the young guys. They kind of have no choice, but, and it just, they just, feel big and they, and they know that it's their responsibility to do something. If you keep kicking those kids back for Dano and for Perry, it doesn't feel like their team. 
the shootout that that Julian fired got fired after. To me, when they sent out Perry, and I love that guy, I love the signing, but it sent a message to the rest of the team. Like, is this Perry's team or is it Kakanyemi's team? Is it Suzuki's team? If you want those guys to feel that way, you need to put them in the in the response the high the high responsibility uh, spots, in my opinion. I brought up a point after the uh, after that loss, the fact that they didn't use either of those guys, and I brought up the fact that the Canadians are always tweeting out these little videos and it's showing a lot of the youth like I'm not gonna say screwing around at practice but they're they're practicing their shootout moves and everything and we know that they're not gonna play they're they're not gonna use some of these moves obviously in a game. However the skill is there the shootout is a skills competition why not utilize them when you're showing them off as much and give them their opportunity to shine instead of using some of these uh say more veteran players totally agree i totally agree i mean that goal that norris scored on carry price is going to carry him for two weeks oh yeah absolutely you know, confidence yeah. wise yeah and you missed out on that opportunity to give that to suzuki or kakanyemi yeah so now Descharm uh, hasn't go uh, ahead i was just going to say Descharm and his first shootout or in his first overtime started with dano and armia uh, of course, Hab's Twitter went wild and said there's no changes. Uh, now, Desharm's explanation was I wanted Deneau to win the faceoff, and then I was going to switch him with someone else. That's great if it works, but if it doesn't work, you're, you're stuck with what you're stuck with. And uh, I guess the question here is he's not breaking that line up. I get in the past – they were five on five, one of the better five on five lines in the league. But don't you think to make this Katyemi Suzuki's team, Katyemi has to move up into that second, that second line role with say a Tafoli and Gallagher? Like, yeah, I, I agree. Does, but yeah, I, like, what I is think the, so. <laughs> what is the? <laughs> I was just going to say, what is the reasoning behind him? Because I know he's an analytic type coach. What is he just trying to kickstart that line, or is he just looking at the analytics and said, well, it's worked for the past three years? Yeah, I think so. I mean, and I don't think it's analytics. I just think it's like everybody knows that that line was one of the best five on five lines, if not the best in the past year, past two years. And it's hard to move on from that, right? It's hard for them to move on from uh, Weber on the, on the power play. And it's just this ingrained hockey way of doing things. Your leaders are your leaders. You pump them out. And they, they need to take the bite that bullet. I mean, I think Julian did it last year with Suzuki in the bubble. I mean, he it was pretty crazy that all of a sudden they took Deneau and he was clearly secondary to Suzuki. They need to do that again. And maybe they need to jump it and do Kakanyemi in that second role. My, my only data thing that I can flip out to you guys is, and I tweeted it out a couple of days ago, is, is it's clear that the organization or definitely Julian doesn't have the, um, uh, the love for Kakanyemi's defensive game quite yet. Uh, he clearly has sheltered him. I threw out a chart there that shows that Kakanyemi is really sheltered, whereas Suzuki is facing some of the stiffest competition there is. And that's twofold. One, because your coach doesn't mind you being out against the best and 
secondarily, the other team is not focusing on Dano, who's got one goal in 51 games. They're focusing on Suzuki. Even if even if you make the argument that Suzuki is not a, a top player or that line's not the, that is the top offensive threat on the team. Uh, so Kakinami is not facing those difficulties. He's not getting the D zone starts. He's not facing the other team's tough competition. So he he's got to make that the team has to put him in that responsibility slot, as they say. Well, he did have some of that in the uh, the play-in and the playoff, and they did well. I mean, Deno was moved down to a third-line role, and they had broken up that uh, that power line that they had. Um, and with Kakanyemi's play recently, he's showing a lot of what he showed during that play-in. So <clears throat> looking at last night's game, people who watched, I mean, he got the first star. Kakanyemi got the first star, and he only had – 1249 of ice time total for the game so you start to wonder why is he getting so little ice time if he's doing so well and it comes to that shelter yeah. question that you brought up yeah and i think it could be you could argue that it's the cart and the horse there the reason he's doing well is because he's he's being put in the, the offensive zone face-offs he's facing other teams third fourth line um so when you look at the date and people love on twitter people are People say, oh, look at the X goal percentage and all this kind of stuff. Well, I, I think it's good, but he's not facing the top end. Same with Kulak and those guys. So you can pump out those stats all you want, but they're not facing Bergeron. They're not facing uh, Matthews and that kind of stuff. Obviously they are, but not yeah. to the same degree. And, and my uh, argument to that point would be, he's doing that well now. Why not bump up his responsibilities? Test him, see how he does. Maybe yeah. give him an extra two minutes ice time. <laughs> I agree. Uh, but these kids got to take it a bit more seriously too, like Suzuki and Kakanyemi on the face-offs. I mean, I, that, I focused some of my data on face-offs the past couple of days because I'm trying to ask why are they so bad on the power play and the penalty kill? And part of it is the face-offs. They're, they're starting every power play and every penalty kill losing the face-off. And that's Deneau too. Deneau is down. He historically has a good face-off percentage, but this year it's not good. And it's actually Evans that has the top face-off on the team. And he's best on the team, but it's barely average in the league. So that is a serious thing. And I'm not a big face-off guy. Like, you know, but the data does show you win the face-off on the penalty kill. The next 30 seconds, you don't have to worry about it. It's out of the zone. You've just killed 30 seconds of of your penalty kill. And they're not getting that opportunity to do that. Yeah, I was looking at the stats last night on faceoffs. I think Deneau's like 50% is what he is for, for the year right now, 51. And Kotkami and Suzuki are 45. So uh, that's before last night's game, mind you. And last night they were only 44% yeah. on the faceoff dot. I think they were like 21% after the first period. So the third, second and third were better, but uh, their penalty, their faceoffs has just been the yeah. I got all the year P- for P- – yeah, the penalty kill I got up. So Deneau's penalty kill face-off percentage is 41%, which puts him outlier bad, like not even yeah. okay, just outlier bad. And and that people will say, well, that only equates to three face-offs over, you know, three lost face-offs over a week of games or whatever. But still, that's, that's enough to get one power play goal against you because you couldn't get it out, yeah. right? Now, Cockney is very to... inconsistent. 
Yeah. He'd be 60% one game and 20% the next. And you'd want all your, your centermen to be close to 50%. If they were all at about 50%, I don't think it'd be as big of an issue as it is now. Yeah. I think, I think it's telling that Evans has a good uh, face-off percentage. I mean, I mean, at the beginning of the year, there was a couple of things I highlighted, penalty kill, power play, and C and C4. These are the holes that they have to figure out. Um, and C4, I think, is a really important... If you're a Stanley Cup contending team, it's a red, a red alert that you have a rookie in that hole. And at any moment, your GM is probably going could to replace, could replace him if he's not going to be that good. And it, I think it's really telling that he's got a good uh, face-off percentage or decent... It shows that Bouchard did his work, I think. And it also shows that there's not too many rookies that have a good uh, face-off percentage because the the refs, the linesmen kick them out and, you know, they allow the, the veterans to cheat. So I think they might have a little gem here in this kid. And they got to really keep working on him. Not bad for a Francophone coach in the minors. Yeah. Maybe they need to send Kakinami and Suzuki down just for a couple of weeks and uh, work on their face-off. I don't know. Well, with all the uh, with all the coaching changes going on recently, and we'll get into we'll get into the uh, the big change that happened last night a little bit later. But for right now, with all these changes, I don't see why they can't go out and find a face-off specialist to help their centerman figure this out. Yeah. Uh, well, I think they thought that Deneau was that guy. And it's really, I think, I mean, if you were Bergevin, you're sitting up there, you're just like, oh my goodness, do I really need to trade him or, or tri- you know, find a 4C? Because I got this guy, or uh, a face-off specialist. I got this guy who should be that. Do you try to correct it or do you have to go out and get one? I, I, and I'm not, a, I personally am not a proponent of having a face-off specialist just to sit on your bench. I think that's that's 10, 20 years ago. I'm not sure teams can really afford to do that nowadays. Well, I mean, I don't see why they wouldn't want to get a fourth, uh, another centerman to bring in that they can keep on the taxi squad and use for veterans, veteran help. But my, my point was more to getting a coach, like a, a face-off oh, yeah. specialist coach. Um, I mean, other teams have it, and they're like the LA Kings – they've been doing fairly well in the face-off circle and have been improving skills. So I don't see why they couldn't get uh, like a, a Yannick Perot to come in and help, help with some face-offs. If if I was a betting man, I would put a lot of money down that Bergevin is going to go get a four C by the end of the year, if they're in the playoffs and it's not no slight against Evans. It's to your point, Blaine, that they need to have somebody on the squad just in case somebody goes down or, whatever right i mean he he's done that in the past remember um remember the fourth line with um uh, they had like two or three really strong ahlers this is like three or four years ago now uh martinson Martinson? no but they went and traded for those guys before before that who was on the fourth line uh agostini yeah oh metro um and who is the other young guy? These guys are solid, solid, you know, fringe NHLers. I, I thought that they were really good, but I just don't think that he trusted them. Even though they washed out really well data-wise, I don't think he trusted them, and they went out and got odd and went out and got whatever. I can see him doing similar thing this year. 
All right. Uh, what about the penalty kill? We watched uh, we watched them play pretty strong on the penalty kill in that one game. They did uh, they did pretty well in the two games prior with Winnipeg, <clears throat> despite giving up a, a goal against uh, Ealers in that uh, that two one loss. Um, after Ealers, of course, dove like he was shot by a sniper from the the rafters. I thought um, he was dead. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the funeral homes were being called. But uh, it seems the penalty kill has been has shifted a little bit back towards the power kill that you had been talking about at the start of the year. The, the first 10 games there, the Canadians were really, really aggressive attacking the puck carrier in the neutral zone. And it seems they've gone, gone back to that. Have, have you noticed that? Has the data backed that up as well? Um, not really. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's still really too early. It's still yeah. really too early with Ducharme and what's been going on there. But um, I don't think there's been that much change other than maybe they're a bit more motivated to be a bit more aggressive. But I still think that PK is still in their zone, too passive. Yeah. Um, and I just don't know. I, I, I just really wonder if it's the personnel. I just really wonder if, if you if they're overestimating Weber's ability, um, overestimating Lekkanen, and I pick on Lekkanen and Danoa, I just, I just don't think those guys are world-beating penalty killers, and they're kind of treated that way. Uh, I think they need to maybe look at, in, in the team, and Julian was doing that at the beginning of the season. I noticed he was having a lot of other players go on the penalty kill, and then he reeled it back a bit. I, I, there's something there. There's something there that they're not, and it could also be a, um, an insight to their five on five play, even though they have five on, great five on five numbers. This is data that's available to the public, right? So their X expected goals against and their shot metrics look fantastic, but there's something there that they're doing wrong. And I think it could possibly have to do with missing seam passes, allowing too many seam passes, Maybe not covering the prop. Maybe they don't have a good game plan covering the correct players. I, I'm just I'm pulling at straws here because I just don't really know what it is. And for the PK, it's a little easier. I think they're just not good with the. They allow the seam passes. They're not aggressive in their own end. And I just don't think that Lekkanen and Dano have the knack, the the special knack. These guys are NHL. These guys are top tier. NHLers like I'm not trying to say that they're garbage they're average to below average on the PK and I just wonder if it has to do with the style they play they hustle they they go hard but that's not necessarily what a good PKer is a good PKer is like hustling at the right moment or getting the stick in the lane or hiding behind coverage like Suzuki did a couple times last night you I that kid has gone through a stretch here's my Suzuki plug <laughs> that kid has gone through a stretch where the stuff's not really working he looks like he's stretching himself thin a little bit, a couple of funny plays he's making, but you can see that his baseline positioning play is still top notch. And that's why the coaches love him. They know they're going to stick him out and they're, he's not, he's going to be in the right position. He's, he's able to steal pucks and tip pucks because he knows where to be at the right time. He knows when to slow down. He knows when to hide and, and, and reveal himself. And he made a couple of plays last night that were exactly that, that kept the play alive because he wasn't hustling like a crazy guy like Lekin and he was really focused on positioning himself for the next attack. 
namely that uh, that zone exit where he just laid the puck out in an open area for Toffoli to step into for the empty net. Yeah, exactly. And there was one forecheck I remember as well. I almost tweeted it out, but I was too busy watching the game. There were a couple plays. One was on the penalty kill, I believe, where um, he he was the puck was being bobbled, and I noticed that. You know, I was thinking in my in my head, if I was Lekkinen, he'd be going after the puck. But Suzuki knew that if he went after the puck, he'd be overextending and he would probably lose the battle. So what he did was slide behind the defenseman who was at the point, and it was a bit of a scramble, and he waited for people to reach in and then he came in and got it and he stole it and he got the puck out do just because he was calm and using his IQ. So anyway, that's my Suzuki plug. Love the kid. Even, even in this little slump he's having here. Yeah. And on the PK, the, the, the standard saying is your penalty, your best penalty killer is your goaltender. And I'm looking at some of the high danger chances or the, the PK percentages in a, in a message you sent me, uh, the goalie penalty killing profile, and I'm looking at Jake Allen and Carey Price, and they're not where I'd expect them to be. You'd expect Carey Price to be much, much higher, but he's down in in the bad zone. Yeah, so, I mean, everyone's going crazy for Carey Price here, and uh, I, I had a, I tweeted out some some stats, you know. So, again, going cascading down, some of the stats, five on five, his stats are actually good. You know, they're not spectacular, but he's, the, the team is doing well in front of him and he's doing okay. Um, but where he's not, the eye test is that he's saving the, the amazing, the, the difficult shot and he's letting it in a, a softy. That's not good, but the five on five still washing out. The PK, the high danger chances, sorry. Of, of the five on five again yeah super strong super strong um but it's the pk like you said blaine and the pk the team is is doing terrible for the for the for both goalies and price is not bailing them out so he's giving them he's not adding he's he's not he's not saving them on their poor penalty kill whereas jake allen He's not completely saving them, but he's he's doing better work. So his PK save percentage is ninety point six, Jake Allen, and uh, prices is eighty four point eight. So, and this sorry, that's the last ten games. So hopefully we see that rise up a bit. So the the big issue is the big the issue is the special teams. The PK is is deflating them. It's making Carey Price look bad in his overall numbers. And the power play up until last night has is not saving them. Yeah, it's, Matt, it's weird to say or? that uh, Montreal's uh, pe- uh, specialty teams is actually what won the game last night. I don't think we could say that all season. So, no. I mean, there's a positive right there. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And 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 I mean, you guys are hockey guys, right? So it's like we tend to panic with every game and all this kind of stuff, you know precarious price we need to do something here but the reality is you just you hear Bergevin say it and lots of hockey people say it. you want to just not go in these big slumps you want to just keep going and you just kind of gotta pray to the hockey gods that you're hitting your stride at the right time and so you've got to ask yourself is can carry price do that absolutely so I want carry price between the pipes if they're making the playoffs don't you <laughs> Right. Yes. Even if he's yeah. even if he lost five games into the playoffs, I want Carey Price on my team 
And now that they have Jake Allen, that's, that's fantastic. Same with the no, like you got to ask yourself, you know, he's going through a bit of a slump, but is, is he the kind of player you want in the playoffs, especially if Suzuki and Kakiyama are going? Probably yes, right? Well, and Carey Price came back, uh, answered his critics. I mean, he, he came out and won a game and he played a solid game. He, he wasn't a world beater last night against Ottawa. We can all admit that, but positionally he was much better. He, his confidence seemed a lot higher. Like for instance, that giveaway to, uh, to Kachuk price mis- misplayed the puck. Kachuk kind of overskated, turned around and was able to get a quick shot off, but price, no panic in his game set. It got set, expected the shot. And it was, it was an, it looked like an easy stop. Whereas another goaltender, if it, maybe even Jake Allen, a little misplay like that, they'd scramble and it might've been a goal. So that play made me feel a little bit more confident in price going forward, um, which kind of, you know, kind of made me wonder what they, why they did what they did soon after Dom Ducharme's first NHL win and fire Stefan Waite. Um, Matt, did you have a question on that one? Um, we can, well, we can kind of look at it this way. Um, obviously Jake Allen did really good things under, under that coach, under, under weight. Uh, do you think that, um, that's going to change at all? Bringing in, uh, bringing in a new guy like Burke, like Allen did really good last year. And obviously uh, Bergevin saw that went and plucked him out of the blues and he's done really good things for Montreal. So is, is a coaching coaching change going to really make a difference with Allen or do you think it's, he's going to kind of stay status quo? Is, is that for me or for, for Jason? Either one of you. I'll let Jason go. You're the guest giver. I don't know. I'm just going, running off what you're saying, Blaine, is that uh, this probably was in the works for a while, right? Um, you guys were, um, um, Trez was talking about it before we got on here about how, um, you know, it could have been more that they, they wanted to keep Burke in the organization and all that kind of stuff. So behind the scenes, we have no idea what's going on, right? So, and, and a change, a change for a change. Um, I, I, you guys know that I, I've been critical of, uh, Bergevin a lot. Uh, I still will be because that's that's you got to go right to the top when things are not going good. The beginning of the season, one of the things I underlined as well was okay, he he doesn't have his retool hat on anymore. This is not a rebuild, and GMs need to look at things a lot differently when they're in win mode. Um, and that means you got to make decisive, quick changes. Now, at the NHL, you lose one game, it's not good, you know. You have to plug those holes and sometimes you pay more to plug those holes. So I guess the point I'm making is the, even if he believed that Julian's a better coach than Ducharme, if the shock of, of uh, firing him gets you five more wins, you do it. This is where you do it. I, it sounds terrible, but I think uh, that's part of the game as well. So change in the organization is probably good. You need to hear new voices. Uh a stat that was brought out on Twitter that I've been kind of redoing is uh, in the first four years with, uh, with Waite, who Bergevin hired in 2013 and brought over from Chicago because they worked together in Chicago, Carey Price had a 926 save percentage. The past four years, it was 908. Now, that's just Carey Price under Steve Waite. Now you look at all the backups and prospects 
that came through the system under Steve Wake that went nowhere. Mike Condon, Dustin Tatarski, Ante Niemi, uh, Keith Kincaid. Uh, the list goes on of backup Al Montoya. So everyone looks at the goaltender coach, looks at the number one goalie and thinks, well, they only work with the number one goalie. The number one goalie is the number one goalie because he's a good goalie. The coaching just kind of puts him yeah. in the place that he needs to be, right? It's the yeah. other guys you got to look at. And where they're going is when you have to really look at your goaltending coach and see if he's doing the right job, in my opinion, because your starter is going to be your starter. He's going to win you the games. He's going to do well because that's why he got the starting job. But and, and what, everyone behind him – oh, go ahead. Oh, no. I, sorry, keep going. Now you're back. Yeah, and then everyone behind Price, though, didn't go anywhere, didn't improve anything. Kincaid actually got worse. Niemi got worse as he went on. Uh, Condon and Tokarski aren't even in the league now, I don't think. Uh, was Waite the right person for the job as long as he was? Because really, it's only Price that was successful under him, if, if, yeah, if you mean, really think about it. Yeah, I agree. And I, I, that's a great point in the sense that um, hockey and man, managing hockey, managing your program, as Duba, Dubas would say, right? I like those words because it's it's not – managing a hockey team is not straightforward now. Is a goalie coach just trying to improve the goalie? By, by having certain exercises or is it greater than that? Is it understanding the psyche? Is it saying, you know, he needs a week off, let's take, give him a week off or let's have programs in place, competition or whatever that change the, the, the mind and all that, that, that what you might call fluffy piece. But those aspects of the game are becoming bigger in hockey now. Um, Jack Han, I think you guys follow him on Twitter too. He's like, I love that guy. He's really good. And he gets into those kinds of things. And he's hinted to, he's hinted a lot to the Habs organization being critical on their, their development, their poor development. Uh, and I would tack on, on top of that, maybe thinking outside the box as well and thinking about those other elements of the game, psychology and all those pieces, data analytics that are going to help you. You just focus on practice and system or what are all those other bubbles that you're looking at? So it goes to your point, Trez, that, I mean, younger, different, different minds are going to look at things differently. I think one of the goalie, was it Matt Murray last night? He didn't dress, right? Right, right? They gave him the, they gave him the day or two off or something like that. And somebody on Twitter also said like, that's interesting. These little things, like you have to ask yourself, why are these teams doing this? And why are the Habs not doing it? Why aren't they saying, go shopping, uh, go fly back home for a day or two or whatever to price. And I don't know. Well, with the hiring of Sean Burke now in a new position that they, they named uh, director of goaltending, it seems like they're going in that direction of a program, as you mentioned. Um, before it was just goal, a goalie coach and they had a goalie coach for each level. Now it's director of goaltending and they all fall under him as it, it's almost as if he is now elevated to an assistant GM position with an entire department underneath him. And it does seem to be pointing in that direction. I mean, the Florida Panthers started, uh, started with this kind of program, I think this season at the start of this season. And Sean Burke is known a little bit as a, as a goaltending whisperer because he's gone around, he's been a goalie coach at different levels and he's improved them. So now they've put him in charge of this program where 
uh, I'm not sure what resources are provided to him just yet, but it does seem that he is, he's given a, a promotion, a raise, uh, a staff. So I would not be surprised if they went in the direction you mentioned, Jason, of, uh, of an all-encompassing program that includes the mental aspect of the game, uh, not just the technical side, uh, all of it, because uh, Jack Ann is right. The Canadians have been horrible on the developmental side with goaltending, which is ironic considering <clears throat> Montreal is known as a uh, known for its great goalies over its uh, over a hundred plus years. I mean, no no Montreal Canadian team has ever won a Stanley Cup without a great goaltender in between the pipes. So it's it, it just seems a little little odd that they haven't been more proactive with this. So this is the direction I think they're taking. I, I, I don't know what, what you guys, what your take is on it, but feel free to let us know. I mean, uh, any one of you just jump right in. For me, we've seen some failures within the organization to come to goaltending. Um, one of them being Fucali and obviously both of you guys being in Halifax, you guys got to see him play quite a bit. Um, when I was back visiting family, I was able to see him play a couple times in Moncton or St. John and um, really like what I saw. Then the Canadians drafted him, and I was like, hmm, we might have something here. We, obviously, we saw that his career hasn't necessarily taken off the way that we were going to. Um, another one was um, Charlie Lindgren, was a guy that kind of came in and seemed to play bigger in the moment. He, he looked better in the NHL than he did in the AHL, and now he's a fringe AHL starter slash taxi squad type guy. And um, it's all come back to price. It's all come back to price. It's all come back to price. And um, I've noticed that they still have a gem in their organization. They still got a guy like Caden Primo and he, and they seem to be, um, I'm not going to necessarily say sheltering him, but they're, it looks like they're, they're, they're kind of um, grooming. Yeah. They're kind of grooming him. They're, they, they know that there's an opportunity that they might lose Jake Allen in the expansion draft. And Bouchard has kind of came out and said, like, this is my guy. This is my starter. I'm going to look at the goaltending that they have right now. They've got McNevin. They got Demchenko. They got Lindgren. And they've got Primo all fighting for position right now. In a season in the AHL, that really means nothing. It's a, they're, they're really just playing to play right now. There's no playoffs. There's no, there's no championship. There's no nothing. This is more or less a development year for him. Um, so, so my, my take on, my take on this is they've had their failures within the organization. And I, and I think that, uh, Primo is going to be the guy that is, is going to be the guy that they kind of put a light on and say, you know, in the past we had our bumps, but look what we're kind of look what we have now, and I and I and I think that that um, that'll be that'll be kind of like a, a telling sign of what's to come within this new role for Sean Burke. Well, with all these internal hires, I mean Sean Burke, Dom Ducharme, uh, all these promotions with from within uh, Alex Burrows. Um, I'm going to ask Jason this one. Do you think it signals that Molson doesn't have that trust that people think he does and he's not letting uh, Bergevin have the latitude to go higher elsewhere? Um, maybe be just because it's his last year, next year? Um, I, I think, no, I think, um, I think this is an example of 
really good succession planning on their part. I mean, when they hired Ducharme, Bouchard, Burroughs, what was it, three years ago now? Uh, yeah, something like that, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, every, I think we all said that these are top end people. These are not just, you know, um, former uh, assistants and stuff like that. These are guys are head leaders. And so I just think that that was probably even at the time they hired them, I'm sure the Molson and um, Bergevin had that conversation said that these are guys if we want to keep them, we're going to need to promote them. So let's groom them and, and promote them. I, I, I totally think that. I totally think that these guys are their guys. Even the uh, even the goaltending coach they have in the AHL, that Mariano, he was he coached with Ducharme and Bouchard, so we're seeing a lot of similarity. And like he's and he was in the organization before Ducharme or Bouchard, so we're seeing a lot of uh, a lot of uh, friends and acquaintances coming back together within the organization. I was just going to say for success, coaching staff has to gel as well. So, I mean, like if your coaching staff doesn't gel together, it's just like a line in hockey. If it's not gelling together, it's not going to be successful. So if you have guys that are similar in minded and worked together before and had success, why not put them together? Maybe we can bring the Sedins in to help with the power play with Burroughs on. See what happens there. (laughs) They're free agents. We can sign them up. There you go. You heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, they brought in Marty Marty St. Louis, uh, if you guys remember last year into Columbus, and because they've had a poor power play for quite a while. He wasn't able to make improvements there. I mean I mean, I think you can only go so far with the system when it comes to the power play and the coaching. Like you really are, you need the horses, you need the creativity from the players themselves. So yeah. It'll be interesting, but I, I, yeah, I totally think that the, these coaches are, were already set up to be there. I mean, you look at Druen, to me, he looks like a different guy. He, he's even in the losing, like he's happier. He looks like he's feels responsible for the team on the ice. If that makes sense. I'm really into that feeling the responsibility kind of thing. And he, uh, he was definitely somebody who I thought this was the year that he's going to fall off the radar and it's the complete opposite has happened so far. So very his, good. His compete level seems to be a little bit higher in the last couple of games. That's for sure. It's nice to see him shooting the puck and I've been very critical on him for a long time. of not shooting the puck and just, just the little things and the small chances. And, you know, he's playing the body a little bit more as well, which we never saw from him. We always saw him kind of shy away from, more or less the defensive side and it's more or less like, Hey guys, I'm over here, you know, pass yeah. the puck to me. And, and that was it. And uh, he made some good plays last night, just, just turning his skates the right way and getting into lanes. And I, I like that aspect of his game. And it's kind of funny that we see that under Ducharme, who is more of an offensive minded coach rather than a coach that he played under now for the last few years, being very defensive minded. And now we're seeing that aspect of his game kind of take off in the last three games. He's playing the way he did in Halifax is the way he's playing now. He, he didn't have a bad 200 foot game in Halifax. Um, so uh, and no coincidence that his coach in Halifax was Dom Ducharme. So hmm. it is what it is, <laughs> but I, I'm a big Druid fan. So um, yeah, it, it does seem like uh, the new voice taking over in the room, kind of uh, breathe new life into some of the younger players. Um, 
you know, um, uh, and this is what the GM mentioned in his press conference. And as we record, it's Wednesday, March 3rd. Uh, it's about noon. Uh, Mark Bergevin is about to address the media uh, publicly, more than likely about the new hiring with uh, Sean Burke. So in his last press conference, that's what he was talking about was those new voices. And this more than likely is what he's going to address when it comes to Sean Burke, a new voice, because Treg, you mentioned it. Uh, I believe Grant McCagg of recruits.ca mentioned the same thing where the beginning of his term with the team price had good numbers and then they start to fall off. You bring in a new voice. There's some other minor tweaks and changes, uh, a new approach and players respond to that. And then they'll step in and, and usually raise their games a little bit. Um, and uh, speaking of raising our game, Hey fellas, we're in the thick of winter and the storms are brewing. It looks like one to three inches are in the forecast when you trim that hibernation bush and that's taking place in your pants. Luckily, our partners at Manscaped specialize in products to make sure you're walking around town with beautiful snowballs. Manscaped is here to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience, offering precision engineered tools for your family jewels. The Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer is the best hygiene tool product for the modern man. Because of the ceramic blade and advanced skin safe technologies, your snags on your snowballs will be reduced. The trimmer is also waterproof, so you can trim in the shower or a jacuzzi if you're some kind of a savage. Uh, Manscaped Performance Package is the best buy of 2021. The Performance Package comes with the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0 Weed Whacker, Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a Travel Bag. Have you ever noticed how nasty nose and ear hair is? In fact, 79% of partners polled admitted that long nose hair is a major turnoff. Might as well use the best tools to do the job. This bundle also comes with a Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner. The Crop Preserver is anti-chafing ball deodorant that will make your balls smell nice and make you feel your testes are walking in a winter wonderland. The Crop Reviver is a spray-on toner for your balls. It's made with soothing aloe and witch hazel extracts that will make your balls look up at you and say thanks. And if they do look up, uh, change your change your medication. Don't get cold feet this winter. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code unfiltered20 at manscaped.com. They also have a ton of other amazing men's hygiene products on their website from disposable mats, four-year pews, two-foot deodorant. 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code unfiltered20. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code unfiltered20. Thanks, Manscaped for making our winter wieners look so good. Whew. Not a bad I, I, I still I still smile at that promo. And I looked at Jason <laughs> a few times and he's just kind of grinning as well. <laughs> well, you know, you gotta, you gotta, get, come, the, uh, you gotta get those ad reads in when you can. How come the Canadians don't have like Weber do that during the intermission or something? Like, cause, uh, <laughs> I don't Manscaped think he said more than five in. words in his entire tenure in Montreal. <laughs> get caught yammy to do it <laughs> actually since uh caught is he yammy old put enough that to shave to... down there uh, i don't know since <laughs> caught yammy put that little uh saying on his stick the uh get angry yeah. uh what was it get you, angry or you mf or something yeah motherfucker yeah. uh oh sorry sorry mother oh, yeah. mother lover um 
That's my thing. Uh, You're, I'm, yeah. I'm the guy that swears. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, now, before, before we end everything here, uh, we had a question come in from one of our avid listeners. Um, so Pierre Lirette sent us an email at habsunfiltered.outlook.com. And he, he thanks us for giving him the chance to ask this question. I've, I thought it was a good one. So I'm going to throw it to Jason. Uh, I think that Ben Sherratt has been a liability on defense lately. If anyone was getting a night off, I would have liked it to be him. Why isn't he getting time off? So that's Piara's question. Um, I'm going to leave it to you, Jason, to kind of address what you think of it. No, this is, these questions are great. I love this question because all those guys, whether it's Weber or Sherrod or Edmondson, they're very polarizing in, in uh, on Habs yeah. Twitter. It's, it's quite incredible. Uh, so for Sherrod, same thing last year, you know, you, you had people in the bubble, uh, you know, guys like uh, Bieksa and all these guys saying that this, these guys are like amazing. And then you have people on Twitter saying, ah, they're garbage. You got to get them off. So it is quite incredible. Anyway, he, by the numbers, Sherrod and Weber have been fantastic this year, except when they hit this 10 great, uh, 10 game stretch, they kind of tailed off. Like did they tail off in a, into a dumpster? Definitely not. Um, but I mean, hockey is a game of adjustments, right? So I think teams are focusing on them. They're trying to get on them a bit. And um, I think it's Laurie on, uh, on Twitter mentioned the other day that, um, you know, like maybe he's doing, Sherrod looks, seems like he's doing a bit too much, right? Um, you know, but still, even if the eye says that, the data, if you like data, it says that he's doing okay. They're, they're not allowing a lot of high danger chances, those two guys. They're not, um, they're, they're on the right side of, of uh, the shots metrics. What people I think don't like is that they're not, it seems that the play dies on their stick, which again, is something Laurie said, and it could be true, but from a very basic hockey perspective, as a coach, you're sitting there and this would be Julian, your number one priority is to get that damn puck out of the zone, right? And then we'll ask questions later. Like true Hawks, conservative hockey coaches give you five marks right for that alone. And that's what they tend to do, Weber. Sherrod tends to get it out of his zone. Do you like where it ends up when it gets out of the zone? Maybe not. It's not a breakaway pass. It's not a wicked creative pass, but it gets out of the zone. So it depends on what you value, I guess, right? And I've said this about Edmondson as well, is that obviously Bergevin is valuing that aspect of the game. Get away from the high danger zone, which the Habs have been good at, uh, limiting high danger chances against. Get it out of our zone, which they've been good at full marks it's the rest of the game that they don't wash out very well right and the eye test doesn't wash out either you see carlson you see uh all these other defensemen making these nice little dipsy doodles and doing a nice pass that sets up their their forwards for success the habs don't set their forwards up for success they do a lot of work to grind it out themselves that's the team they built so it depends on what you're measuring when you talk about performance the first question you're going to ask is what they, what are you measuring? And the Habs would measure high danger chances and getting it out of the zone. And for that reason, those guys get full marks. You see them sit Kulak. And why is that? Because his breakouts look pretty darn good, right? It's because 
a gaff here, one or two gaffs, uh, and you let a high danger chance or an odd man rush, as soon as you let that happen, your coach is saying, ah, I don't like that. I want to eliminate that completely. And that's the kind of game that the Habs like. Whether you like it or not, that's what they're measuring against. Yeah, yeah. And when you have a goaltender like Carey Price and Jake Allen, even, um, if you can keep high danger chances down to a minimum, there you would expect those two goaltenders to take care of the easier shots, the so-called easier shots. And that, that goal differential should improve just based on that alone. So uh, that that's, I agree with you. I think that's the view that the, the GM and the coach prior coach was taking when they, they wanted these guys in these, these spots. Um, and on, yeah. you could argue the opposite though, right? Yeah. If you have good goalies, well, maybe you should play a, a bit more risky game. Yeah. Um, and Edmondson, if you ask me what kind of marks I give him, I give the guy full marks. He's doing what they're asking him to do. And the stats are bearing out. The only argument you can have against Bergevin and Edmondson is that as a fan, you don't want that kind of player there. You, you, what you want is Tory Krug or what you want, you know, every fan wants that fantastic puck moving defenseman. But if he's not there and you can't get that, um, then obviously the organization has chosen to double down on these kinds of defensemen. I personally think they should go back to the 80s, 90s style of a puck mover with a stay-at-home guy on each line. And I think that's the the argument with Sherratt and Weber together is that they'll both improve if you put them in different scenarios. So Weber with a, a Tory Krug type player or a... Mete. No, not Mete. Mete. <laughs> not Mete. It does not work. The, um, the, the, I'm going to cut you off. The, the stats bear that out. If you look at Weber and Mete when they've been together, which is not a massive sample, but it's it's not a, it's not super small. It's like 20 games or whatever. They have been fantastic. <laughs> well, there you go. You know your data. They have been good. They have been good. But so has Kulak very and Petrie. Exactly. Kulak and Petrie are very good together. So do we put Mete and Weber, Kulak and Petrie, and Romanov and Edmondson, Edmondson? And then Sharato. I mean, I, I, I've been defending Mete. You can tell the last few weeks, you can ask these guys. I've no, been, he hasn't. He's been, he's been throwing them under the bus. I have so. Uh, I just don't see Mete. I just don't think Mete can handle a top line, top four minutes type game. It's not his Man, play with Weber. I, I, I look at Brandstrom uh, in, in um, Ottawa, and I'm like, Mete can do 90% of what that guy does. He, he's higher end in the zone with how you know his ability to score and pass but the breakout piece and and 95 percent of the game it looks just like mete brandstrom uh, the habs should be they got to work with that they need to work with that but mete can't do anything else <laughs> but that's a really big part of the game maybe romanov game. maybe romanov needs to get mete in practice like he did brandstrom the other day and wake him up a little bit <laughs> yeah i think romanov would pair nicely with Weber to be honest with you personally to be to be overly honest and um uh Patrick uh from eyes on the prize is not gonna like me saying this uh everyone's super high on Romanov but they don't have somebody in the organization that is that top end skill puck moving guy I don't think Romanov's that I I'm I 
don't want to be, I'm not here to bash or whatever. I hope he does get there, but I don't see that level of skill. His skating is amazing and his shooting is, he, he hit the crossbar twice on, like they're going to get really good value out of him. Like Petrie, for example, you know, Petrie is super high value, but he doesn't have that je ne sais quoi skill that Quinn has or that Krug has, or, you know what I mean? And if you don't have that, you try, I don't think you need, to, I don't think you can try to pretend that you have it in Kulak and think he's going to do that because he can't. No, well, they might no. get it with Norlander. Yes. I'm rarely interested. Norlander in looks kid. promising. Yeah. I, I do see, I do see some upside on Romanov's game. I do see him as someone who could possibly step into a top line role eventually. Um, and you're right. He doesn't have that elite skill. He's more of a, a little bit of a jack of all trades with, with an excellent skating base. So, yeah, he, and, and guys have survived. Guy. Yeah, like uh, Nick Letty, uh, Brody. Yeah. I would classify those guys the same mold as as Roman. Well, I mean, different, but the ability to skate and to move and to get the puck in the right spot. But they don't have that crazy elite skill to finish no. and to make plays. Markov, Markov's a perfect comparison. Markov never oh, I had think Markov, Markov was Yeah, but I think he had that je ne sais quoi, you know, the thing that Suzuki has, the thing that um, Toffoli has, these guys that don't have the physical skill, but they have this unbelievable uh, creativity. You know what I mean? That feel for the game, the way they read yeah. the game and anticipate the plays. I know that yeah. people boil it down to just calling it hockey IQ, but there's more to it than just that. Yeah. Exactly. Like Petrie is a great example. The guy has an unbelievable physical skill and he's a super pro that has figured out how he can maximize everything. Got a hard shot. He, he knows how to pass, but I wouldn't give him if I was making uh, NHL 2001, I wouldn't give him like a hundred percent at a hockey IQ. I wouldn't give him hundred percent passing. I wouldn't give him hundred percent uh, sniping and, and snapping the shot. Like, uh, you know, Kale McCarr and, and Quinn and these guys, but he's he's developed himself to get the max out of everything. But his ability to do that is based my my personal view is based on the just the crazy physical skill he has. He's so strong, he can skate, and he's succeeded with that. Guys, you got anything? Uh, any last questions for for Jason? I personally don't. I just want to thank you for being on the show, and obviously, you're welcome anytime. We're my pleasure, to- man. I'm I'm glad you had me back on. Absolutely. We're glad that you enjoy the commercial. (laughs) (laughs) Probably next time you're on, you're going to have something new and you'll snicker at that one too. So it's all good. Uh, I don't, uh, that's again, Jason, thanks for having me on. I love your tweets. I love, uh, I've used them a couple times in arguments I've had with people about things, especially with Edmondson. Um, (laughs) And uh, I just want to say happy uh, 57th birthday to Blaine Potvin. Um, It's good. Uh, you're, I, you're I prefer the name Pepper. I uh, I got I got you a walker. I just have to uh, meet up with you to give it to you, just so that you can. Uh, do you got the tennis balls for the? Uh, I for did. The I do because you, you okay. need them on the ship. So you know. That's right. I don't, I, yeah. So. Yeah, happy birthday, Blaine! You're looking good, man. Looking good for 67. Well, you know, I I do what I can. You know. <laughs> I don't post gym selfies like other people. But I mean, we there. know you're well, you, we, and we know you're well groomed in other areas other than your face. So that's uh, well, yeah. good to know. Yeah, I just want to make it clear that I have two grooming tools. 
a top and a bottom. I don't mix nice. them up. Don't mix that shit up. No. <laughs> well, he thinks he doesn't mix it up. So <laughs> sometimes he starts here and it starts going down, down, down. He's like, oh, wait a minute, get a switch, get a switch, get a switch. <laughs> so, yeah, I'd like to uh, thank you guys for, for those uh, heartfelt, warm wishes. <laughs> so touching. <laughs> and uh, Jason, I really want to thank you for coming back on. Uh, as, the, uh, as the other guys have mentioned, you're always welcome here. Uh, friend of the show, Jason Paul, thank you very, very much. Um, why don't you let our listeners know where they can find some of your work? Yeah, uh, my website is uh, waveintel.org and I've got a few tools that you guys know there. You can go in and plug in players' names and teams and spit out all kinds of stuff and throw it on the uh, interweb so that you can win your arguments as needed. And you can find me at Twitter at Wave Intel. Uh, that's it. See you on Twitter. Right on. Thanks a lot, Jason. And for our listeners, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching on YouTube. Remember, we have a giveaway that's on uh, that's going on right now. We're giving away uh, Terry Ryan's latest book. Uh, if you follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, just definitely YouTube. <laughs> we really want to grow our YouTube uh, our YouTube channel. So give us follows, uh, like, subscribe, give us five-star ratings. You know, we love that stuff, especially because, you know, as the guy said, it's my birthday. I deserve something. Uh, and I'm going to give you a gift if you do follow. So you'll win uh, an autographed Terry Ryan novel. And uh, again, thanks for listening. And remember, if you were talking about it, so are we. <laughs> I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. 
wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.